Christmas is an amazing, amazing time of year, and it's just this uh, amazing time when we get to be together and enjoy stuff, and, uh, and for those of us who are of faith really have a focus in on, on this person of Jesus and the Christmas story. Um, I, I'm not assuming, of course, that everyone here is on the faith journey. Obviously, we've got a lot of guests today, and, and we're all in our own spaces, and that's awesome, um, but there's quite a few aspects to the Christian story which are quite tough to believe. So I believe all of them because they're in the Bible, but for our understanding for some people, it's a big deal. Like for example, the whole giving birth in a stable thing. Of course, they didn't have stables because stables are, you know, built out of wood and all that stuff. So, and it was the Middle East. They don't have trees. So that's tricky. So it's mostly a cave. That's where they kept. So Mary gave birth in a cave, which is, any ladies given birth in a cave here? Like, we, you know, it's nice having hospitals and stuff. And I've actually got insights into this because my wife is a, a Kiwi and she grew up in the Wap Waps, which is Kiwi for Bundu. We've got a different word, but it's basically like the sticks, okay? And, uh, and she's one of six girls. Six girls. And her mum, because like the hospital was 45 minutes away and it was too much of a schlep, like she just gave birth at home uh, by herself without a midwife. So it's pretty amazing. So it's kind of like this, you know, unsupported delivery thing. And when I found this out, I said to Teresa, yes, babes, with these jeans, this is awesome. We could save a lot of money. Um, but she wasn't into it. She insisted on a hospital, which is fair game, you know. Uh, maybe for round two. No, I'm joking. I actually need the happy gas by the end of it. It was important for me. Um, and then there's three wise men. They come for a long walk. They're from the east. So <laughs> the east is anywhere east, obviously. Um, so they're from the east, and they saw in the stars a special star, and they knew that a king had been born. And then they followed that star, and the star ended up over Bethlehem, and then they found Jesus. Like, it's an amazing story, because when I look at the star, I don't, you know, I see Santa Claus maybe, but I don't see a, a, like a guidance GPS system. Um, and so there's this amazing thing. They come, they, they rock up, and they've got gifts for baby Jesus, which is nice. Um, and then there's some angels that appear to some shepherds, and they, there's like a whole angelic choir. And like, so that's quite a lot to believe. So as I said, like, I believe all of that, but for some, I, I understand that that's quite a lot to believe. And then on the other hand, I'm like, you know, when, when as people, when we uh, have babies, like as couples, not obviously, you know how it works. Um, when we have babies, like there's this preparation process that goes into preparing a nursery, a home for this child that's going to be coming home. And I know that because uh, I've got a 15-month-old and Teresa was, my wife was planning like before Judah arrived, she was planning everything. She had lists. She's, she's pretty good like that. Lists and all that kind of stuff. But this, this um, the maternity, uh, what's it called? Nesting thing kicked in at about 38 weeks, like strong. Like all of a sudden she'd wake up in the middle of the night and I found her at the top of stepladder, heavily pregnant. Judah was over four kilos, um, cleaning the fan because she wanted to make sure there wasn't dust. When Judah, you know, came home at... Midnight. So that's odd, but apparently you don't ask questions at that stage in the pre you just support. So I, I gave her a clean dust and went back to bed. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. It's been a long day. I just say stuff now. Um, so if, if that's how we prepare for a baby to arrive, how much more would the God of heaven at least have some fanfare for the arrival of a son? How much more would there be a host of angels to greet him? And, you know, we, like, arrange some stuff in the kid's room, but he arranges the stars for his son. 
I mean, how much more, if that's what we do, is in the heart of, a, of our Heavenly Father to celebrate the arrival of His Son. And I want to pick on, on one event today, which I understand is, is quite of a stretch to believe if, if you're struggling with the Christian faith thing. Um, and if I was going to make this up, I would leave this bit out, because it's the whole bit where Jesus is born of a virgin. Because that's like, you know, hard to believe, right? He's born of a virgin. And like, do, do, do Christians actually believe that that happened Yes, we do. And, uh, and it's not just that he was born of a virgin, it's that he had to be born of a virgin in order to fulfill his destiny and save us to become like him. And so that's what I'm going to go into today. I'm going to explain why it was an absolute necessity that Jesus was born of a virgin. And to do that, you actually have to understand something of humanity and who God created us to be. And so we're going to start in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. So this is Adam. And he breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. So there's God, and he's made the earth, and everything's there. He just hasn't made Adam and Eve yet. And he takes some dust of the ground, and he, he forms the first man, and then he breathes into him the breath of life. And so uh, when he gathers the elements of the dust of the ground, uh, that's the physical part of who we are. And scientists, obviously, quite a few years later after this, discovered that the same elements that are in the soil and the rock are the same elements that are in us. And he, he creates the man so physical from the dust of the ground, but then he breathes into him the breath of life. And the Hebrew name for Holy Spirit here is Ruach. It literally sounds like a breath, Ruach. And so in that moment, you've got Adam, who's not just physical. He doesn't just stop at the physical part. He breathes into them the breath of life. So there's a spiritual dimension, and that's who we are as people. We are physical beings. We have flesh and blood, and we are spiritual beings made in the image of God because God doesn't have a physical image in that sense but he's a spirit being, and so we made spiritual people. It's the fact that we're not just material creatures. We're not just atoms and material stuff and, you know, the right chemistry happening in the brain at the right time. We're actually spiritual people. It's why we can get lost in a sunrise or in the stars. Not like physically lost, because you have to have a pretty mean spaceship, but like when we look at it. Sorry, I just realized that to clarify. And uh, I, I was spent the last week, I was on some leave, and I was in Lotenie in the Berg, and I woke up at 2 in the morning, I went outside, and, and I just saw this stretch of Milky Way, and I was just like, wow. Is there something in, inside of me, and something inside of us connects to these grand images of creation, because we're not just material, we're not just atoms, we're spiritual beings. It's why we love. It's why we can show courage and bravery and rejoice and mourn. It's why we can know God. And so God makes Adam and Eve, and they are one part physical, one part spiritual. And he puts them in a garden, and then there is, in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he says, if you eat from that tree, you shall die. And like so many of us, they disobey God. Um, and I suppose like everyone here, we've all done things that at one point we know would be wrong. And they, they did something they knew were wrong. And in that moment, they died. And we, we struggle to understand this because it's not like, you know, they, they took a bite of the apple and they just fell down dead. 
So what was happening there? Because God says, if you eat from that tree, you shall surely die. And then they take a bite of the apple, but they don't die. Like, was God like overselling and underdelivering? Like, you know, like when your mom says, I'm counting to three, but you really know there's three sets of three before the trouble comes, you know? Or maybe your dad, it depends who was it. My dad had a one speak, one speak twice, third time, go to the bedroom. We're going to bring our friend the wisdom stick, but that's another story. We also have a counseling ministry in our church. <laughs> no, I've got no, I got no hang-ups about that. Um, and so, in what sense did they die? And the, 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 the reason this isn't so easy to understand is because the biblical concepts of life and death is far more nuanced than what we're used to in a Western world. And so uh, what li- exists within the Bible is this uh, a sense of life and death which isn't just physical. It's about a quality and a depth of life where we're either growing towards God and life or we're going towards death, away from God towards death. And so, I mean, even in the Greek language, which is the language of the New Testament, they don't just have one word for life. They have bios, for bio, where we get the word biology from, for biological, physical life. And they've got zoe, which is a beautiful name, but it also means spiritual life. So they've got two types of life, and we just have the one word, life. And so uh, for us, the, we've got to stretch ourselves a bit in, to understand what the Bible means in terms of life and death. Maybe two examples within our language and our framework that actually uh, resonates with us. Have you ever heard that st- the statement, when that person does that, they just come alive? When Debs does accounting, she just comes alive. Like when she has to find that one number that's missing to balance, oh, she's happy. Me, I'm dying. Finished. Looking at a screen of numbers. But there's a different thing in Debs which comes alive when she gets to do that. And we don't say, oh, Debs really came alive when she balanced the journals. It's not like she resurrected, you know? It's just that something inside of her, she was more alive, feels alive in those moments. A quote from, second example, a quote from one of my favorite movies of all time, Shawshank Redemption. Get busy living or get Busy dying, I can see people mouthing the words. It's a great quote. And uh, it's this concept that as people, if we get stuck in fear, if we get stuck in timidity, then actually we're slowly going to be busy dying, but we might not even realize that we slowly die, and we've got to make a choice to move towards risk and adventure and life. And it's this idea that not everyone gives the same expression to life at the same time. And so that's kind of how the Bible thinks about it. So let me explain it from God's perspective. Uh, God is the source of all life. And Jesus said, I came to give you life and life in abundance. And so moving towards God and his kind of life is to have a life of fullness and peace and abundance. And the Old Testament is called shalom, which we translate as peace. But it's a far fuller concept. It's this concept of wholeness and integrated wholeness of abundance and prosperity. And Jesus says in the New Testament, and he says, He who believes in, me out of, believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. 
And water is the source of life. Uh, if you've been to the Middle East, it's an arid region where Jesus is teaching in the land of Israel. And so in that region where he says, out of you will flow rivers of living water, what he's saying is that wherever in that region there's a, a river of water, all around it there's life, there's green, there's insects, there's birds, there's animals. It's an amazing thing. And he's saying, all around you, if you believe in me, out of you will flow these rivers of living water, this life. And all around you there will be relational health and relational fullness. There will be a kindness and a generosity of heart. There will be a, a good attitude mental attitude to, uh, uh, to the things around you and the things that happen in your world because the life of God invades your world and spreads out beyond you to other people. And conversely, to head away from God or to live a life without Him means that in some ways we tend towards the absence of life, which of course is death, which is a relational brokenness. And I'm not saying, you know, if you become a Christian, all your relational issues go away. And I'm not saying those things. What it means is that you have a different source within you. And so there can be a relational brokenness where there's self-seeking behavior. And we see in our world the presence of greed, of people having a sense of never having enough, or sometimes even worse, of having things, but not having the ability to enjoy them. Ever noticed that? You're looking at what someone else has got, and you're like, yo, if I had that, if I had that house, that car, that holiday, yo, I'd be living it up. And people are looking at you and saying the exact same thing. We've got stuff, but we don't have the ability to enjoy it. It's because we've got lean souls or lean hearts. And these are the symptoms of death, and I'm sure for all of us, we'll identify times in our life where we've had both fullness, both life and aspects of death. And so this is how God thinks of it. And so God has to remedy the situation. And so he comes to uh, the second round of creation in a sense uh, of, of creating a man where he creates Jesus. And this is why we celebrate Christmas. I'm going to read to you from Luke chapter 1. In the sixth month, month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, and Elizabeth um, was the, I think, Mary's cousin. So Jesus and John the Baptist were second cousins. I get confused at that point. They're just family. Um, and so in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Now, ladies, imagine this happening one day, like you're doing whatever, you're chilling at home, you're having like a quiet moment, and suddenly there's an angel there, and he, and he says to you, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Like, that's a bit of a big day, okay? Confused and disturbed, like, no duh, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. By the way, Jesus in Hebrew is Yeshua, which means salvation. You'll name him salvation. What a great name for the Savior of the world. And he will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, but how can this be? I am a virgin. Decent question. The angel replied, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. This is actually a fulfillment of an 800-year prophecy from the prophet Isaiah. And what God is doing here is he's going, Remember Adam? 
one part physical, the dust of the ground, one part spiritual, the spirit of God. Now he's got a second Adam, so to speak, the second round of creation, one part physical, the DNA of Mary, one part spiritual, the Holy Spirit, because he's coming to restore what was broken and lost when Adam and all humanity made decisions to rebel against God, and so he needed a second Adam to replace what the first Adam had messed up. It's an amazing picture. So it's not just that Jesus was born of a virgin, it's that he had to be born of a virgin, because that's where the spiritual part comes into this physical man. And now Jesus, who is physical like you and me, can completely represent us to the Father, but he's spiritual like God, so he can completely represent the Father to us. He plays this dual role. And if he wasn't fully physical and fully spiritual, he couldn't do it. He couldn't be the Savior of the world. He couldn't represent us by taking our sin upon himself. And he couldn't die a perfect death because only God is perfect. And he dies for us and forgives us of our sins. And the amazing thing about this is that God doesn't stop there. We've got two Adams, but God doesn't stop there. And he come, begins a, a story of redemption, of returning us to factory settings. You know what happens when you get a device and you mess it up? And as a last resort, you go return to factory settings. God created us. And all of us are, I'm just going to say this humbly, myself included, all of us are a little bit messed up. Like a little bit. Some of you more than others, I'm just saying. It's, I'm a pastor, I know some of you. I'm joking, man. See, not everyone's got the gift. Tim's a pastor. He would never say that. I'm a teacher. We just, you know, we're just different people. And uh, so if you want to get loved, go to Tim. Um, but we've all got our issues. We've all made our mistakes. We've all got our backstory. Like, that's the thing about life. It's complex. It's messy. There's moments of pain and brokenness, and there's all that kind of stuff. And God wants to find us and return us to factory settings, what we were created for. So in John chapter 3, we're going to pick up the story of Nicodemus. And Nicodemus uh, has this conversation with Jesus where he understands, I suppose, how God does this redemptive work, this return to factory setting work. And he comes to Jesus as night, and Nicodemus is a big deal. He's a religious leader of his day. In other words, he's kind of like the Jewish religious parliament of his day. And he comes to have a conversation with Jesus to try and suss him out and find out who he is. And Jesus replies to Nicodemus' question, which is, hey, how are you doing all these amazing works? And, uh, and Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, this is before being born again became a thing. Because I've been, had this moment in my life where people found out I'm a Christian, then they ask, what kind of Christian are you? And I've had someone say, are you the born again type of Christian? To which I go, isn't that the only type of Christian? Because Jesus says, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. You know, so this is before all the labels. You know, this is before rappers and rugby players get up to receive reward and thank God for the power and the... Sweet beats. 
This is before there's Catholic and Protestant and Methodist and Episcopalian and charismatic and three-piece suit-wearing tele-evangelists. This is before happy, clappy Christians or glum and serious ones. Actually, once uh, when I was a, a new Christian, my older brother's friend, he asked me, are you a happy, clappy Christian? Which I was quite like insulted by. I said, oh, of course not, man. And he looked at me and said, are you happy? I was like, yeah. He's like, do you clap? <laughs> I was like, you got a point. So this is before all of that, okay? This is just a Jewish religious leader trying to figure out who this strange rabbi is. This rabbi who is healing people and raising the dead and who's friends of sinners and walks on water. This person that was greeted by crowds of angels and star signs. and, And he says to him, unless you're born again, you can't enter the kingdom of God. And what Jesus is saying is, unless you're born again, you can't take your first step into the spiritual reality. You can't understand the most basic thing of who I am and what I came to do. What do you mean? exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Fair question. If you think about it, just don't think about it too much because it gets weird. <laughs> it's a logical question, right? He's trying to figure out. He's never heard the term born again. Like, well, what do you mean? And Jesus replies, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God. In other words, no one can understand God and be a part of his life and part of his world without being born of water and the Spirit. I mean, born of water and the Spirit, two births. Now, when ladies give birth, the, birth, the first thing that happens is there waters break. We are grown in a pool of water, so to speak. And so we have to be born of water. But then he says, but you have to be born of the Spirit. One part material, physical body, one part spiritual of his spirit, just like Adam, just like Jesus. And then he says, humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. You see, when we're born physically into a physical world, we get to interact with that physical world. We go on this learning journey throughout our lives And I've got a 15-month-old son, and it's been a joy to watch him grow. And, you know, he has to be born physically to interact with the physical world. For example, one of the parts of the physical world is this awesome concept called gravity. It's amazing. Like, it can be tricky, let's be honest. Because, like, the bed, once my son fell off, and it was my fault. And then my wife put it on Instagram. Awesome. (laughs) But he's fine. Like, that's what dads are for, right? Walk it off, son. You can't walk anyway. Crawl it off. Um, But, like, gravity is a big deal, right? And learning to walk is a big deal, and gravity helps you, and he's learning to fall backwards. But then when it comes to the steps, like, I had to train him, go backwards, because the head is more important than the legs, okay? So go backwards. But in the beginning, he would just go, and then he would learn about gravity. And then as we get older, there's trees, tree climbing, which is a really awesome thing. Like you should still do it if you can. It's amazing. And you climb trees, but again, gravity is a big deal when you're climbing trees. It's like, what creates that fear factor? And then you can get older, and there's an amazing thing called bungee jumping. Like, you're still learning about gravity, but in a whole new way. 
But here's the thing, as long as the child remains in his mother's womb, he has no real concept of gravity because when you're swimming, it's different. You have to be born into a physical world to interact with that physical world. And you have to be born into a spiritual world to interact with that spiritual world. Imagine trying to, like twins now, or triplets, hanging out, and one of them's heard about gravity in the womb, and they're trying to explain it. Or imagine trying to explain gravity to them. Like, it would be very tricky, you know? It's just one of those things you have to experience for yourselves. Imagine trying to explain the spiritual life of being born again to someone that's never entered into that world it's a tricky thing. You just have to experience it for yourself. And all of a sudden, what he's saying is that we, God gives life to our spirits and we come alive to him. Let me explain how this, to illustrate how this played out in my own life. I grew up in church. I'm the son of a pastor. So we did a lot of church. And mostly, to be honest, I did church because that's what we did as a family. And then they told me to say my prayers at night. And I said my prayers at night. And they told me I had to read my Bible. And I tried, but I read a little bit. And then when I got older and I became a teenager, uh, you start making decisions for yourself. And what I realized is actually that I found going to church really boring. So I mostly didn't want to go. And I found praying really, like, boring. Unless I was in trouble, then I'd definitely pray. So I'm like, dear Jesus, my mom's going to kill me. And so, you know, when you're in trouble, then you naturally pray, but you don't pray for the joy of it. You pray because, hey, it's like I ran out of options. And when I read the Bible, I found it boring. I didn't understand. Why? Because I wasn't born again, and so I was a physical person looking at spiritual things and not understanding. And I got to this point in my life when I was uh, 16 years old where I suppose I made enough mistakes and and I decided I wanted to give my life to Jesus now, not with the mind of a child, but with the mind of a 16-year-old. I was going to say an adult, but, you know, going in that direction. And I made this decision. I remember putting up my hand in church and saying, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. And, and, and in that moment, I was born again. And, and so, if something changed, but in a sense, everything changed. You know, after that, I loved going to church. The thing which was boring now was awesome. And when people sing, sang, I was singing too. Even though I can't really sing. Like I don't have that gift. I can't have it all. Um, I can't even have little bits as I'm learning. Um, and suddenly worship was a different experience. Whereas on the outside, I felt like I was on, before I felt like I was on the outside looking in. And, and, and I'm singing the same words. And I'm in the same place. But when those people sing, it feels like they're having a different experience than what I've had. There's something else going on. What's, what is that? And I was a, phys- a physical person looking at a spiritual event and not understanding. But all of a sudden, when I was born again, when I was born of the Spirit, and God, by His Spirit, breathed His Spirit here and gave life to my spirit, suddenly I could engage in the spiritual thing and it was alive to me and meaningful. Suddenly I read the Bible and that which was boring was suddenly alive and relevant to my life. Suddenly prayer was something that was enthralling. It wasn't something I had to do because it's something I wanted to do and I got to do. Unless you're born again, you can't see 
the kingdom of God. Unless you're born of his spirit, you can't look at spiritual things and see life and joy and peace there. What happens is you look at those things and you go, that's odd. I don't really understand. Why would someone do that? And understand? Because there's a part of you that needs to come alive so you can engage in the spiritual thing that God made you for. There's this verse, one of my favorites, Ecclesiastes 3.11, yet God has made everything beautiful in its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. You see, there is this, this part of our hearts which is eternal, and God created eternal. eternal. It's the leftover vestige, I suppose, the leftover of a spiritual life that we should have had, but it's, it's waiting to be filled by God. And what happens is we try and fill it with money and success and relationships and sex and career and family and all some of them good things and many of them good things some of them not such healthy things as it turns out and um and in that process what we're doing is we're going i'm going to find something that i can make my i need to make myself happy it's going to give me a sense of fullness give me a sense of life but invariably what happens is we get that thing and it's cool for a while but then it kind of fades and then we're left looking for the next thing but maybe if I got the promotion, or maybe if I got more money, or maybe if I got respect, or maybe if I got... Why? Because we're trying to take temporary physical things and put it into an eternal spiritual part of who we are. And only when you discover Jesus will you fill that part of your life. And that's the joy of Christmas. That God sent His Son... One part physical, one part spiritual, to be the perfect sacrifice for our sins so that he can come and have a relationship with us and return us and, and make us what he made us to be, which is spiritual people living in a physical world where there's the life of the spirit, which is his joy, his peace, his security, his sense of destiny and purpose for your life. And that's the joy of Jesus and the joy of Christmas. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that you loved us so much that you sent your Son so that whoever believes shall not perish, won't tend towards death, but shall inherit eternal life both now and in the age to come. And Father, I thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. And I just want to give you, I just want to ask everyone to just keep their head bowed and their eyes closed. But if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus and you realize you need to be born again, if you could just raise your hand so I can see where you are and I'd love to pray for you. And maybe you've been coming to church for a while, but you know you actually need to be born again. Or maybe you're here for the first time and you'd like to give your life to Jesus. Thank you so much. Just raise your hand. I'd love to pray with you. Thank you so much. Thank you. There's hands going up all over here. I just want to give you an opportunity to say, that's me, God. I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. Great. Let's, wherever you are, if you've made that commitment, just pray this simple prayer in your own heart. Dear Lord Jesus, this morning I choose to give you my life. I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe you rose from the dead 
And I give you my life. In Jesus' name. And Father, I thank you for the gift of new life and new birth. I thank you, God, that heaven is celebrating and that the greatest gift we could ever give you, God, is, is, is the gift of our own lives, saying, God, here I am. I thank you, God, that that's the thing that you rejoice over, is having a relationship with us. And I pray for every person here that you bless them with a phenomenal Christmas, that you protect them from the dangers of overeating. Give them supernaturally expanded stomachs. In Jesus' name.